you're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Kara Weeby, and I have had the privilege of going to Free City for about four years now. And I am part of the Heights Higginbotham Weeby City Group. And I also get to serve in Free City Kids and also on the prayer team here. So today's scripture is from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning um, with other believers and to hear your word. Uh, God, I thank you for Central Middle School and just the opportunity to meet in this place. God, I ask that as students and teachers and staff gather here during the week, that you would be with them, that you would be moving even in these hallways um, during the week and that people would come to know you, that you would move in middle schoolers' hearts and draw them to yourself, um, and that your spirit would just dwell here. Um, God, I pray for us, as we're coming from a lot of different places this morning, I just ask that you would remove all distractions. Uh, God, that we would hear from you, um, and that you would just speak through Casey as he brings your word to us. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, man, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 17. And, uh, you know, I also, as you're flipping the pages there or dialing it up on your phone, uh, make sure you're on the Bible app. Uh, I mean, I want to invite you. So we uh, have Discover Free City uh, tonight at my house and then again next week. And uh, we have a, a pretty full group, but we still have a little bit of room. Uh, if you're interested, Discover Free City uh, is the first step toward covenant membership. 
but it's also just a great way to find out, hey, why we do what we do. Why does Free City do what it does? Uh, what is the vision and mission of Free City? What, what is that all about? And, and a time for you to get to know uh, the pastors and, and the staff and that you can uh, ask them really, really hard questions and watch us squirm as we try to answer um, and I think we're having a chocolate sheet cake. So, I mean, that's good, right? Uh, but if you're interested in that and you haven't signed up, you need to go to the events page of fcclawrence.com um, and sign up, and we would send you the address and uh, get you there. But when we look at this, uh, whoa, I'm okay. Um, Matthew 17, what we see, this is about what Peter, James, and John saw on a mountain. It's about them seeing Jesus in a different way, the same Jesus that they at this point have been following and walking around and hearing different messages, defending and questioning, the same Jesus that they had slept on the countryside with, that they had been out in the open, that they had seen perform miracles, the same Jesus that had taught to them over and over. But suddenly on this high mountain, they see Jesus differently. And we, we know from their future writings, like Peter, James, and John, they all use language from this moment, like it shaped them in an incredible way. And so something about what they saw in Jesus changed everything about them. And this is a call for us to look at Jesus again. Look at him again and again. And this is really the pattern of the believer that we open up the scriptures, that we might look at what the scriptures say, believing all that the scriptures say under the authority of the scriptures, but that they would point to Jesus because all of the Bible points to the gospel. And the beholder of the gospel is the risen Jesus Christ. And so it's what Hebrews, when it picks up the language that we would behold him, we'd be changed by him. Those kind of things. And this is something that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, pointed to over and over. Last night, uh, we, uh, we were watching football. And um, uh, the kids, we had, written, we had rented some red boxes. And so red boxes, they're these boxes um, that before everyone just streamed, they still exist in the world. And you can get actual DVDs. DVDs, they look like CDs, uh, but you don't know what a CD is, uh, but it's a thing that used to use to play music that came after cassette tapes. I'm not even going to get into that, um, but we, I, we had to return it, and so as the kids are going to bed, I'm getting it. I don't want to get charged again, and so I go return the, the DVD, and it's gotten colder, and so I was in shorts and a hoodie, and so I pulled the hoodie up, and I came back, and uh, Kenzie was up with the kids, kind of helping putting them down, and so I just was watching football. I still had the hoodie on. It's comforting to me, like something covering, touching my head, like where hair used to be, and so I was just like there, and Kenzie comes down, and she kind of double takes and looks at me, and she's like, why do you have your hoodie on? And I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize. I, I don't know. I was cold, taking the movie back. And then she says, you look like the old guy on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I was like, you mean like the crusader? And she's like, yeah. I was like, you mean the guy who's not just old, the guy who's like supernaturally old? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, but kind of like a look and then look again. Man, the whole of change 
is that we look at the gospel and we look at the person of Jesus to see what God is like, what he's done for us, what he says about us, both about our sin and our brokenness, but also about who we are because of what Christ has done, not because we earned it or our efforts, but who he's bestowed us upon because he is the servant, he is the son whom God is well pleased, and he invites you to stand in his place. And so the call is to look again. And so Matthew 17, it's about seeing a glimpse of who Jesus really is. Peter, James, and John, like these are like the inner sectum here. Like these are the people that when not all, when all the 12 can't fit in the room, Peter, James, and John get invited in. They were witness to some of the miracles in the small rooms. And they were witnesses to what they saw on top of that mountain. And what they saw on this like getaway camping trip, what they saw and what they heard, something about it changed their lives forever. And and we see it in their New Testament writings. Like when they talk about Jesus, they are drawn back to like, you haven't seen, your eyes haven't beheld. Like what came to us in the person of Jesus that changes everything. And so we're just going to ask this question, like what did they see? And it's all right there in the picture of the mountain. And then we're going to ask this, like, what did they hear? They heard God say something about Jesus, and then they heard a message from Jesus, and then they had questions, and Jesus was kind and gracious to answer their questions. And then we're going to ask, like, what does that mean? So what did they see? What did they hear? What does it mean? And so let's let's take a look at this, starting verse 1. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And so that that first phrase, like after six days, it's really, really rare in the writing of Matthew. Like he never, he, he rarely starts any of his stories with a time reference. You know, unlike Mark, who starts all of his stories with a time reference, but all his stories start off with, and immediately next, and immediately next. But we have this time reference where usually what we see, like if you're looking in your Bible, you might back up and you see in Matthew 16, verse 13, you see he starts off a new story by saying, in the district of Caesarea of Philippi. Or you could look ahead and you would see uh, in the same kind of thing, Matthew 17, verse 24, it says when they came to Capernaum, that's how Matthew normally starts his stories geographically. But here he suddenly says, but after six days. But after six days. And so it's kind of, it should draw attention to us to look deeper at the text and say, why is this different? And if you look deeper at the text and you look at the, the verse that came right before this in the last chapter, Matthew 16, verse 28, Jesus had just told the disciples, some standing here, and I think it means Peter, James, and John, some standing here with me right now will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. And so, you know, people can disagree, and people do disagree about what this means. Some, you know, look at the end times, and, you know, what does this mean? And some look at 70 AD and the destruction of the temple. I think it is six days after Jesus said that you have the immediate fulfillment that they saw something about the coming kingdom of Jesus, and Jesus changed right before them. The same Jesus that they had been with, all of a sudden, they saw something deeper in him. And it was a picture of the kingdom of God coming and how it would come. 
And so after six days, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus on this high mountain. And then look at verse 2. It says, And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And so we just have two descriptions. It talks about his, his face shining like the sun. It talks about his clothes, white, like white lightning. And it says something was radiating off Jesus. It was something altogether different. And it wasn't saying it was reflecting the light from somewhere else. It's saying it came from Jesus. Something about Jesus in that moment was so different. You know, we, we see this event in the synoptic gospel. Synoptic just means same. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all talk about this event. It's very central to the identity of Jesus because they saw something beneath the skin that showed through. The curtain was removed and they saw more of Jesus than what they had seen before. Gosh, man, if you're in a season of difficulty, if you've been wondering, man, what is God doing in your life or how do you react or respond Man, what a great prayer. Lord, help me get away to see something more about you, Jesus. And so they were camping, and they saw Jesus change right before them. And man, listen to this. Like, you could just write this down, but we see all of these, all of these guys. We see them talk about, use language from this later in the New Testament writing. And so John later records when he's talking about the glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world existed. You could read about that in John 17, verse 5. And in a way he's saying that Jesus had this glory with the Father before time ever happened, and we got to see some of it. His face was shining like the sun. His clothes were like super clean and super white. But he talks about it later in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. He says, we came with this message to proclaim to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so he could have been like, man, we went camping and this incredible thing happened. There was no darkness or no shadow. It was altogether different. We got to see some of it. Like what he was like before the foundation of the earth when he was just hanging out with the Trinity. We got to see some of it right there. But we also see James write about this. In James chapter 1 verse 17, this is familiar. You probably, you've heard this verse. It says, And every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down. And in this language, The Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I mean, I don't know if he's thinking about this moment, but he couldn't like not be thinking about it at all when he says, man, we saw something about Jesus. He was illuminated and he was transfigured right before us. Big change, it was still him, but it was different and there was no shadow, no variation. There was a purity about him. There was a power about him. We see Peter write directly about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, so starting back in verse 16, listen to this. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, when we came to tell you about Jesus, it wasn't a myth. It's something that we saw, we were witness to. It's something that we experienced. And so it says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, verse 17. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. And then this is what we're about to hear. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so there was this event that they experienced together that they were with Jesus and something about that event, something that they saw in Jesus, something they saw around Jesus changed the way they saw Jesus and it forever changed them. And that language came out as they were trying to instruct people about the kingdom of God and what Jesus was like. And God still does that. God, God, God still does that. God, God intercepts our lives in such a way that we get to see something through his word or something lines up in our life that we need to go back to regularly because we're quick to forget. And we need to go back to say, that's when I met Jesus. That's when he showed me his glory. That's when he showed me the purity of his light, that there's no shadow and no variation, that I can trust his intentions. Even when the you know, the psalmist David writes in the 23rd Psalm, even when I find myself in the dark valley, I'll fear no evil. And so something happened here, and it constantly was pulled back in the writings of the New Testament. They're saying, man, we saw Jesus change majestically right before our eyes. We saw him coming into his kingdom. We saw it. We heard the Father speak over him. We saw it on the mountain, and it changed us. And so it's like this, this pointing, did you see it? I mean, my, my kids, they've been coming home from school uh, hearing kind of crazy things like, man, Taylor Swift's in Lawrence. I'm like, yeah, she had lunch at our house. Um, she fed our dog. Uh, and they've been hearing things. They're like, yeah, yeah, it turns out like uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, they were like friends in high school, even though one was from PA and the other one from Ohio. But they were friends in high school and she wrote love story about them. And now it's working out. And I'm like, Man, she's going to break his heart, and it might ruin our whole football season. I mean, I'm just scared. You know? But, like, I'm pointing at something pretty incredible. Like, I, I don't want you to miss this. I'm pointing at what the scriptures are going to say about Jesus, and I don't want you to categorize this in other things that you maybe have heard about Jesus, that he's just a good teacher or a miracle worker or someone we should emulate our life. What this text is saying is something incredibly miraculous that the curtain of the physical world was pulled back just a little bit. And you need to know you live in a physical world, but you are both physical and spiritual because you have a soul. And there's an unseen world around us that is real. And this is a merging of those worlds that they saw in the person of Jesus. I'm pointing at something incredible. And so this is what they saw. And so what did they see? They saw Moses, they saw Elijah, and they saw what we just talked about, the enveloping presence of God Almighty. And so back at verse 2, they saw Jesus more clearly as he really is. He changed in front of them. And we gave a lot of description, but the picture is this, that they could see him, but suddenly they saw something more in him. And so I don't know if you've, you've seen these, but like they're, they're pictures and they're just a bunch of dots and they just look like kind of colorful dot pictures. They're called auto stereogram. And some of you are like, oh, I know what that is. And you're lying. Uh, but it's where the, the dots, if you stare at it long enough, all of a sudden it takes a 3D image. I, I remember when these things first came out 
and everybody would stare at them, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, it's a sailboat. And I'd just be staring at it like, like I, I don't see a sailboat. But I felt weird, and I felt like I was left out. So I'd be like, oh, cool, guys, a sailboat. And uh, I was lying. I didn't really see a, a sailboat until, like, I just moved a little bit, and then suddenly I beheld a sailboat. And I remember being like, oh, my gosh, a sailboat. And they were like, I thought you already saw it. I was like, I was lying. I didn't want to feel weird. But I see it now. It was always before me, but I see it now. This is what happened to them. Jesus, he talked this crazy talk. I and the Father are one. He took these crazy titles. I am. He says, if you look at me, you see the Father. I do nothing outside the will of my Father. When he was doing miracles, he was undoing the wrong in this world to make it like the kingdom of God. And they said, oh my gosh, I see it. It's like the sailboat, but cooler. I see it. And so sometimes... The call of Matthew 17 is, man, look at Jesus again. When you don't see enough there, look deeper and be patient and stare upon who he is. And that means read the scriptures and write down who he is, what he does, who he does it with, what he's like, what he says about God the Father, what he says about our brokenness and our need for him. Write down what he says about you. He calls you friend. Always happy to see you. Can always take your nothing and make everything. That's who Jesus Christ is. Look at him again. But that's not all they saw. They also saw Moses and Elijah. And so look at verse 3. It says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, we don't know how they recognized Moses and Elijah. Like, was it like a business meeting and they had name tags on? But they were certain this is Moses and Elijah. This is famous people. Like, like famous people for them. And like, you got to prepare yourself when you meet famous people that you don't feel like a, like a, like a doofus. Like, you got to prepare yourself to be cool. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, the movie Twister was filmed right outside Ponca City. And uh, Bill Paxton is in that movie. And uh, I was, uh, I was uh, a, a checker at a grocery store. And I got fired from that job. I don't want to talk about that. But I was a checker at a grocery store. And uh, all of a sudden, man, I'm checking out. I, this guy has sunglasses on, and it's nighttime, and he has, like, a hat on kind of low, and it's Bill Paxton. Now, I grew up uh, watching on VHS. I, I don't have time to tell you what that is. But I grew up watching Aliens. And Bill Paxton is in that movie. And he's got this scene where, you know, the aliens are winning, the, the, plane, the ship just crashed, and he goes on this tirade of, man, game over. Game over. It's all over. We're all going to die. And Sigourney Weaver is like, this little girl lived here without any weapons. He's like, great, put her in charge, you know. And so, like, I'd seen that movie like a thousand times. Is rated R. I was too young to watch it. But, um, and all of a sudden, Bill Paxton's in front of me. And I'm like checking out his food. I'm like, all right, play it cool. And so uh, I just go, you ever see the movie Aliens? Beep. <laughs> Beep. And he kind of laughs, and he's like, yeah, I've seen it. I was like, I love that movie. Beep. <laughs> that was it. I mean, I didn't say anything else. But he and I, like, he's probably somewhere talking about that. Like, that was so cool, man. Uh, and so you got to be ready to see famous people. And so, look, Peter is ready. Like, he, he, he's ready. Like, like, look at this. So, first off, 
I want you to understand, like we need to know who these guys are and what they represent in the Old Testament because they are standing on either side of Jesus and Jesus is in between them and it means everything. It literally means everything. And so Moses. Moses led the people of God out of their slavery in Egypt to get the law of God. Like we're just kind of encapsulating what happened. He led the people of God out of a cruel slavery and he took them to the law of God. Moses received and pointed to the law of God. While everyone else had to stay off Mount Sinai, he went as a representative to get the law of God to bring it back. He went to receive what God is like and what he wants us to be like and what his kingdom is like. And he brought it back to lay it before us. And we fail it over and over and over. And the people of God, the Hebrew people, they got it and they failed it over and over and over. But the law is good. It's so good. We need it. It's so wonderful. It's meant to be followed. It's meant to be obeyed. But we fall short of it. And so it was this huge mountaintop experience where Moses received the law of God. And he received it, if you remember, in a booming voice with lightning and clouds all around. It was this incredible mountaintop experience. And here's Moses. It's a big deal. But there's also Elijah. And, And so Elijah led the people as a prophet, pointing to the divine wonder of God over and over. And so he's not like a lot of prophets in the sense that, you know, he wrote the prophecies of of letter like Isaiah. But he became like the representation of all the prophets. And there's a lot of other things that kind of tie these people together. But like if you're thinking about Elijah, you know, Gary, he he preached on uh, 1 Kings 18 not not too long ago. And that's on Mount Carmel where you had uh, all the prophets of Baal, you know, hundreds of them. And you, you had, you know, Elijah only. And they built these altars and they prayed. And God sent lightning from heaven to consume what was on the altar. And everyone knew to prove that God is God. It doesn't matter how many prophets are saying something else is God. It doesn't matter how many people are saying that God is God. And so this incredible, victorious moment. And then the people killed all the prophets. I mean, you know, it's always hard to depict in the storybook Bible. of Like, and then they slaughtered the priest. Um, Good night. Let's pray, you know. (laughs) But what happened after that? Jezebel, the queen of King Ahab, looked at Elijah and said, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah, full of fear, runs from Jezebel. Full of fear and anxiety, he runs from Jezebel. And he finds himself under a broom tree, depressed. Listen to that. When you are running from fear and anxiety, you will land yourself in a destination of depression. And man, if you know that 1 Kings 19, God sends an angel, and all that angel does is said, hey, God's going to talk to you, but you need strength, and just ate with him and let him rest. Man, while we're reading Job, 
I mean, I have felt so convicted because, you know, reading Job, his friends come and they're pretty bad friends and they're like, well, surely you've sinned. Why don't you believe God more? I mean, like, man, I say that stuff. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. They just come. An angel comes and just sits with Job and ministers to him and says, you need strength. God will speak to you. And then in 1 Kings 19, we find on another mountain, on Mount Horeb, that Elijah experiences God's voice not in a tornado, not in a storm, but in this still, small whisper that is communicating the grace of God. And so on both mountains, Elijah found the glory of God. On Mount Carmel, he found the glory of God in a lightning show. But on Mount Horeb, he found the comforting whisper of God's grace. And so Elijah came to represent like all the prophets who point to the majestic saving nature and even the wrath of God. And so in short, Moses represents the law of what is required to be okay before God. And Elijah represents all the promises that were made about the coming Messiah. All the promises that were made about what will redeem you and make you right. And so on one side of Jesus for the group picture, for the selfie, you've got the law of God. The commands of God. And on the other side, you've got the promised salvation that God would say, it's going to come, it will be here. And in between, you have Jesus. So in Moses, the law of God was made known. In Elijah, the prophetic promise of salvation was made known. The law of God, the promise of salvation, talking with Jesus. And we don't really see it here but like we do see, you know, in Mark, like it talks about, um, you know, what they talked about. We'll get to that in just a second. But just to kind of encapsulate this, like these guys, Moses, Elijah, they, they, they both met with God on mountains. They both suffered rejection from their own people. They both, you know, their lives ended in supernatural, mysterious ways. Elijah was taken up to heaven without going through death. And we see that in in 2 Kings chapter 2. And Moses, his life ended mysteriously upon a mountain and no one could find his body. And here Jesus is standing in between both of them as the fulfillment of both of them, holding them together. And this is huge. Because this scene was described 400 years earlier by the prophet Malachi, the very last prophetic words of the Old Testament. And so listen to this. You see both these coming together. And so Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. This, this actually is really, uh, this, was, this was a moment, like reading this at one time, and God really spoke to me about church planting and giving my life away uh, for something. And I'll explain it to you as we do it. But in verse 4 it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the law of God. The statutes and rules, the law of God. That I commanded him at Horeb. That's another way of, you know, most theologians think Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same. For all of Israel, behold, I, God, will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so 400 years before this, Malachi is looking ahead and he says, the great and awesome day of the Lord is going to include Elijah and Moses, something about the law of God and the prophecy of God all coming together, the promised salvation. 
And for 400 years, this is the last picture on the Hebrew people's mind. Man, this servant, this Messiah, this redeeming king, man, he's going to come and somehow it's going to be like Moses and the law. And somehow it's going to be like Elijah, the promised salvation that God's going to send. And it's going to be the awesome day of the Lord. What is going to happen in the awesome day of the Lord? Verse 6. Look at this. And he will turn their hearts. Now there's more description there. But Jesus came to turn your heart toward repentance, to change your life. That you might see something beautiful in him. And it might lean you toward repentance. That you might just trust him a little bit more. He came to turn hearts. Now, specifically, it says, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land for the decree of utter destruction. It, it was actually these verses that, uh, just in the context of what I was praying and thinking about Lawrence uh, and planting a church here, and um, you can hear that story at Discover Free City. It's a, it's a remitting story. You'll love it. Uh, but when I was thinking in context of that, I started to think about all the real brokenness that I've seen. I started to think about the miracles that I actually want to be a part of. And it was actually these kind of miracles. Husband and wife reconciling. Fathers being fathers. Mothers being mothers. Kids growing up with, with both in the household and the, a beautiful nature in between them. Those are the kind of miracles I wanted to see. And I just remember because my lip kind of started shriveling. And I just said, God, I'll give my life to that. This held hanging in the ether of the Hebrews' mind for 400 years. No more scripture written. The Maccabees, which you can find, you know, some see it as authoritative. It's real history, but it wasn't prophetically said. And so they didn't accept it as the word of God. For 400 years, what was coming in the awesome day of the Lord was going to include Moses, Elijah, and a turning of hearts. And so they saw this. Yeah, they also saw, look at verse 4, they also saw Peter open his mouth again. I mean, look at it. And Peter said to them, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I myself, Peter the rock, I myself will make three tents here for you. One for Moses and one for Elijah. And so he was thinking what everybody was thinking. Oh my goodness. Moses. Elijah, the Messiah. This is the base camp for the battle plan. We are right here. We've got to start to devise battle strategy to, to take over our captors that we might be in charge, that all the nations would come under the dominion of you, Jesus. But he had forgotten what Jesus had said over and over, what Jesus just said in the last chapter, what he's about to say just a few verses away, that he had to come to suffer he had to come to be killed, and he had to be raised again. That that's how hearts would be turned. That no military might could ever do it. No incredible teaching or incredible insight could change the hearts of sinful people. That it had to be a divine thing from God to step into hearts, to change hearts forever. The only thing that could do it is the death of God. Peter forgot, and so he had to look again. 
And I was just thinking when I was studying this, man, how often do I forget? How often do I need to read the scriptures and remember to go back to a moment of reading Malachi 4? Because, man, sometimes, sometimes pastors get discouraged and they have to be reminded of how God spoke to them. So they saw Peter talk. They saw the glory of God overshadow Jesus. Look at verse 5. It says, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And so the question is, what do you see when you look at Jesus? Do you see the fulfillment of the law in the person of Jesus? Do you see God's promised salvation to turn hearts back to the Father, to turn the Father's heart back to us? Do you see the mediator that's holding both of those things together, the mediator that stands between the perfection of God and sinful humanity that, highlight, that is highlighted by God the Father? This is what Peter, James, and John saw. Do you see this Jesus, or is your Jesus someone else? That's what they saw. They saw Moses and Elijah. What did they hear? This goes a little bit faster. They heard the voice of God. They heard the voice of Jesus. And Jesus answered their question. And, and so verse, verse 5, it goes on, it says... You know, they heard the voice of God, and the voice of God basically said, listen to Jesus. And so look at verse 5. It says, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. See how I, I put that together? Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Like, who is Jesus? The beloved son of God who makes God happy. Jesus makes God happy. Like, God the Father is so proud of his son Jesus. He wants to answer every prayer of Jesus. He wants to talk to Jesus. He loves to think about Jesus. And then by Jesus' teaching, all he wants to do is talk about the Father. And then Jesus, when he, he's about to leave, he says, man, you got to meet the Holy Spirit. i got to get out of here so the Holy Spirit comes. He's going to rock your world. I mean, over and over, they're talking about one another in this incredible thing of you got to meet the other. And so this is what he says, my beloved son who makes me happy. Look, look at verse 6. It says, and when the disciples heard this, and they saw, they fell on their face and were terrified. And then there's like this space between verse 6 and 7. But Jesus came and touched him saying, rise and have no fear. And so there's some sort of like time lapse here, you know, where, where you know, in, in verse, between verse 6 and 7. You know, in verse 4, Peter interrupts the grown-up conversation and says, I'm going to build some tents. And then God the Father tells Peter, stop talking and listen to Jesus. And then the disciples fall on the ground afraid, you know, and then, you know, the glory of God envelops Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And, and then you got that verse 6, you know, the disciples fall on the ground afraid. And then suddenly Jesus is comforting them. Now, Mark 9, same event, it gives us one sentence that this doesn't have. And it says that, that you know, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus started to talk about Jesus' departure or his death or his exodus is the real word. And so they started to make plans for this incredible exodus that Jesus says is going to happen through his death and resurrection for all people whose hearts are turned to him. This incredible exodus, the salvation of God. And so in that picture, you have 
you know, Moses led the Hebrew people in a great exodus when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus is going to lead a greater exodus through his suffering. I must go to, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Through his death, I will be killed. And on the third day, I will rise again. All of the law, all of the promises of the coming salvation was coming in the person of Jesus in an exodus where he would be executed in our place, taking the wrath of God upon himself so that you can stand in Jesus and God the Father, his heart is turned to you and he is happy with you. He's happy with you. And then I just love it. So they heard not just the voice of God, Peter, be quiet, just listen to Jesus. They heard the voice of Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Look at it again, verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. He said, rise and have no fear. Like, how do we get that? We listen and we believe Jesus. Above our fears, we look and we listen at Jesus. What is he like? How did he approach broken people? How did he approach pharisaical people? How did he approach prostitutes and demon-possessed? What did he do? What did he come to do? What did he say about God the Father? What did he say that he could do for us? What does he call us now? Man, I think John was thinking about this moment when he wrote 1 John 4.18 when he said, perfect love cast out fear. Christian, you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Man, with everything going on in the news, man, I was just thinking about Psalms 46. And just this phrase that, man, Jesus has the pleasure of God and in him you can stand in perfect love. So you don't have to be afraid. Like listen to some of the, the, these verses out of Psalms 46. It just says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then look at everything around us that we don't have to be afraid of. Verse 2, it says, Though the earth gives way, you have God's very present help. He is happy to see you because of Jesus, so you don't have to fear. Verse 2 goes on, Though the mountains be moved, you have God's very present help in Jesus, saying, Have no fear. Verse 6, though the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Like, we think war is a thing of the past, that somehow we are enlightened and it won't happen anymore. But the brokenness of our hearts will always say things like this, I want what you have. And the brokenness inside of us is we're, we're willing to kill a lot of people for it. And so we have Russia and Ukraine. And so nations rage and kingdoms totter, but have no fear. Why? Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Like the whole point of Matthew 17 is a foretaste of Jesus, the divine Son of God coming to save us. Emmanuel, God with us. Have no fear. The very present help in the person of Jesus. And then it just goes on. It says, come and behold the works of the Lord, the greatest work of God is the salvation of sinners made possible through Jesus. Have no fear. 
Verse 9, he makes wars cease. Have no fear. He breaks the bow and shatters the spears. He burns the chariots with fire. Have no fear. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. And that is exactly what Matthew 17 is about. They got to see a little bit of the exalted Christ, but the exalted Christ to bring about the salvation of us had to go to the cross. That's why he said over and over, the son of man will be rejected. He will suffer. He'll be killed. And on the third day, he'll rise. And then verse 11, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Just have no fear. So the voice of God is saying, listen to Jesus. The voice of Jesus is saying, I've come, have no fear. And then Jesus answers their questions. And so they just question, man, who is, who is Elijah? Has he come? We kind of expected more. I mean, not just the mountaintop thing. And so look at verse 9. It says, and as they were coming down the mountain... Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And then the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered, Elijah does come first, and he'll restore all things. So he's pointing back to Malachi chapter 4. They're pointing to Malachi chapter 4, so Elijah has to come first. Is that really all? Just we got to see him and, and then the, the cloud hit him and that's it? But how is he restoring all things? And so it says, but I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Peter, James, and John didn't understand, so they asked and Jesus answered. He said, Elijah has come. John the Baptist came preaching a repentance and pointing to me as the Lamb of God. And, you know, like the evil empire killed him, but the religious sect is going to kill me. It's not what you expected. And so then he goes on in verse 12, he paints it out really plain. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Jesus was preparing the disciples for what was to come. The forgiveness of sin. The kingdom of God, he's saying, will only be accomplished through my suffering and my death and my resurrection. Look again. Most people don't miss Jesus because they're like, man, I hate that guy. Most people miss Jesus because they have an elevated opinion of him, but it is de-elevated from the son of God who came to die in our place. And so it says, look again. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. They saw him talking about the Exodus, the great Exodus. They heard God the Father say that he was pleased with Jesus and they should listen to him. They heard Jesus say, have no fear. But what does it mean? And it's all seen in Jesus standing in between Moses and Elijah. Jesus is all that stands between the damning requirements of the law and promised salvation. Your good works cannot bridge what the law demands and the salvation that you need. Jesus is the only place that we can stand and in him have the affection of God where he looks at you and says, I am pleased with you. It's only in between that Jesus bridges those together. 
He is the only way. And like Moses, Jesus is going to lead a great exodus. Jesus came to deliver his people from the slavery of sin. The greatest and final exodus happened as the Son of God went to the cross to liberate his people from the slavery of sin. This is the gospel. And right now, the gospel, it's like Mount Horeb. It's whispering to you of God's grace. For the believer, it's whispering, trust me more. Look to me again. For the unbeliever, it says, look at who I am. Listen, listen to this. This is a long quote. It'll be up on the screen, but I'm just going to read it. And so this is uh, from uh, Patrick Schreiner. And I, I just wanted to rewrite it myself, but it's so good. I just, Patrick Schreiner, he writes this. By revealing Jesus through the garb of Moses, Matthew uncovers the purpose of Moses. Whereas Moses was sent to deliver the nation out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus was sent to deliver all nations from their spiritual slave uh, to sin and to their hearts. Moses spoke the words he received from God, but Jesus is the very word of God who declares, I say to you, Moses received the law, but Jesus fulfills the law. Moses fed Israel in the wilderness, but Jesus spreads out a banquet for Jews and Gentiles on the mountain. Whereas Moses' face shone with the reflection of the glory that he had seen, Jesus' face shines by his own divine glory. Moses mediated temporarily between the people and God. Jesus mediates eternally for his people by the shedding of his own blood. Moses died looking over the land that was to be for Israel. Jesus was raised from the dead and tells his disciples to go out to all nations. Moses' body cannot be found because no one knows where he was buried. But Jesus' body cannot be found because he is risen. Jesus is therefore not merely the new prophet. He is also the new mediator, the new servant, the new leader, the new miracle worker, the new teacher, and the new redeemer. He is all things Moses was and more, and he leads the people in a greater exodus than Moses could have ever imagined. There is so much to see on this mountain. What do you see? Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, as we move to communion, man, we see the bread before us and the wine before us. And it's a reminder of what you were saying, that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and be raised on the third day. Lord, my heart condemns me because I fail the law of God or when my whole heart is bolstered because I grade myself in an unfair way against people's failures, I miss that the only thing that bridges the coming salvation and the law of God is you, the author and perfecter of my faith. Lord, we come not in our strength, but we come to a table where you can say to us with all honesty, come and eat at my table because you make me happy. We can have the happiness of God the Father because of Jesus the Son and by the transforming power of God the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, come. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, 
please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.